Good morning, everybody. Open your Bible, if you brought it, uh, to Proverbs, the sixth chapter. Now, looking around in here, there's a few of you that uh, would remember the 1950s. Well, I was a kid growing up in the 1950s, and we did not have all the tech toys and videos that uh, you can play today, but we found ways to keep ourselves occupied. And I remember one of the fads that came along during the 1950s was the ant farm. How many of you remember that? Oh, yeah. How many of you had one of those, right? Okay, that's great. Here's another uh, one of them. And I like this one because it says, Fascinating Ant Farm. You take the farm, we mail the ants. <laughs> and uh, it says, Unbreakable Escape Proof. And then, see the live ants dig tunnels, build bridges, move mountains. And in fact, I have a picture of myself here looking at one of the... No, that's not really me, but okay. <laughs> I mean, tell you, uh, fun for the whole family. You could gather around it and spend the whole evening... I'm just kidding. After about two minutes, you're bored stiff, right? It's like, what are those guys doing? Well, I mean, after all, we were kids. We weren't myrmecologists. We didn't even know that myrmecology was the study of ants. Well, Proverbs uh, was written mainly by King Solomon, and he recommended myrmecology. Now, uh, he knew the value of paying attention to the ants, especially if we're a little bit lazy or slothful in our work. Proverbs, as we mentioned last week, is really a compilation of wise sayings and similitudes, mostly written by Solomon. And first nine chapters are about wisdom, acquiring wisdom, the importance of acquiring wisdom. And then the balance of the book is laced with wisdom that relates to family, morality, finances, uh, friendship, speech, and work. And what we want to focus on this weekend is the Proverbs that relate to work, our vocation. But before we plunge into that, I really want to say, as I've mentioned before, when you look at a passage in Scripture, there's really only one interpretation. What did that author mean for that audience that he was writing to? However, even though there's one interpretation for each passage, there are an infinite number of applications. And so the primary interpretation for the verses we're going to look at this, week, this weekend are how we are to work in our vocation. However, we can apply this concept of diligence to other areas of our lives. For instance... If Proverbs says, if we work hard, we're going to see profit, we will get rich. Uh, well, we can apply that to our marriages and say, if we work hard in our marriage, if we build into that relationship, we'll have a better marriage. We'll have a better relationship with parents or with children, with friends, if we work on those relationships. It's true in our Christian life as well followers of Christ, and we talk about our path of discipleship, love God, 
if we give ourselves to worshiping the Lord and becoming worshipers, so that we're not just coming and singing some songs, no, we are worshiping because we're engaging with the God who has created us and redeemed us through Christ. And not just on Sunday mornings, but every day we're becoming worshipers, you know, just beginning the day in worship. If we're in the Word and we're diligent about that, opening our Bibles and letting God speak to us, if we're connecting with others, not just attending an Ohana group, but actually formulating community with our brothers and sisters so that we really know what's happening in one another's lives. We're encouraging one another. We're praying for one another. We're bearing one another's burdens. Now we're being diligent in that. There'll be profit in that, okay? Serve the Lord. We've talked about that the last several weeks. And if we find our ministry that correlates with our giftings and we're diligent to serve in that ministry and really bless others, God does an amazing work through that ministry and in our lives as well. There's profit in that. And reach the lost. If we have the heart of Jesus, if we really do care about lost people in our family or where we work, maybe next door, we're praying for them, and we take the opportunities and make time to build relationships with them, we're diligent in that. Wow, that has eternal implications. There's profit in that for the kingdom of God to see people come to know Christ. Or maybe it be one other area I'll just mention. We need to give diligence to turning from sin, repenting, and then pursuing righteousness. Maybe recovery of some sort or another. We're all in recovery as believers. If we're diligent to practice those principles as we follow Christ, there's great profit in that. So however the Holy Spirit would speak to each of us individually, and he does, let's apply these concepts that relate to work in that area of our lives. So what does Solomon say when it comes to counsel? He says this. If we, especially if we tend to be a little lazy, we need to turn to myrmecology. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. I want to look at these each a little closer, but I want to pull three principles from this passage, and then we'll look at some other Proverbs that come to bear on this as well. They're in your outline. Here's the first. The sluggard must be goaded to get going, but the ant doesn't need to be told what to do. So the question is, verse 9, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Now, the sluggard comes from the word slug. And you know what a slug is. Those are those little slimy creatures that are on the sidewalk at night, usually, and creeping along. They'll make about 23 inches in an hour. And sometimes they gather a shell about them just for protection. But it doesn't really protect them if you don't see them and step on them. It's like, oh my gosh, what a slimy mess, right? Well, they're nocturnal creatures. They come out at night, but they're 
sleeping in the daytime when other people are working. And that's what a sluggard does. Sluggard in the Proverbs is referring to a lazy person who likes to sleep and not work. So it says in 26, 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. It's like, I know I should get up, but I need another hour of sleep, and rolls over. And a door on its hinges doesn't really go anywhere. Neither does a sluggard who refuses to get out of bed. But even if we go to work, we can be a sluggard. In fact, I saw this website, Inc. 5000, as I was looking for something relating to work, and it said, the average worker works eight hours a day, but only really puts in about two hours and 53 minutes of work. In fact, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says the average American works 8.8 hours a day, but in a study of 2,000 full-time office workers, most people aren't working most of the time at work. And they listed some of the most popular unproductive activities at work. Here they were in this survey. Reading news websites, one hour and five minutes. Checking social media, 44 minutes. Discussing non-work-related things with coworkers, 40 minutes. Searching for new jobs, 26 minutes. Taking smoke breaks, 23 minutes. Making calls to partners or friends, 18 minutes. Making hot drinks, 17 minutes. Texting or instant messaging, 14 minutes. Eating snacks, 8 minutes. And making food in the office, 7 minutes. Many years ago, I went to a seminar in downtown Honolulu, and this guy from California was doing these seminars about work and the office. And he said, you know, I've noticed a big difference between California and Hawaii. He said, you go to any office in Hawaii, and he said, you open the drawers, and there's just food everywhere, and people are pulling food out from, you know that's true, right? Well, that's part of the way we occupy ourselves in Hawaii, I guess, but uh, there's all kinds of options. But Proverbs says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Do you ever notice that about the ants? I mean, they're busy, and you're wondering, who's in charge there? Where's the boss? I mean, they are worker ants, and they are just going about their business, taking initiative. No boss saying, get up, come on, let's go. And that's instructive for us. We need to learn to take initiative as workers in our work, as well as in other areas of our lives, as I've just mentioned. But I think that Sometimes, I, over the years, on occasion, I've had Christian employers tell me, I'm kind of hesitant to hire a Christian because I've had Christians come to work for me before, and they want me to cut them slack. They want to get all the breaks, and I'd rather hire somebody else. And I'm like, oh, I just hate to hear that. I don't think that's generally true. It shouldn't ever be true. We, of all people, ought to be the ones to take initiative to be there on time and to put in a full day's work for a full day's pay, to work uh, as unto the Lord because it's our Lord Christ whom we're serving according to Scripture. That's one principle. Here's another. 
The sluggard makes excuses why he can't, while the ant just goes about his work. Verse 10 said, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So we think, I just need a nap here. I'm going to take a little break, and pretty soon, well, wake up and the work hasn't been done. Philip Yancey is one of my favorite authors. I was reading him last night in a new book he's written called Vanishing Grace. But here's one of his old classics. I've mentioned it before, Soul Survivor. How 13 unlikely mentors helped my faith survive the church. And he talks about different mentors that he had either known or read about. But he has one account here, talks about work. He says, the day I graduated from high school near Atlanta, I began a summer job digging ditches in order to save money for college. Our work crew consisted of four muscular men and one skinny kid, me. The foreman dropped us off, parked his truck under a nearby shade tree, lit a cigarette, and began reading the sports pages. Although we started working just after sunrise, the air was already hot and muggy. I dug in with gusto, rhythmically jamming my pointed shovel into the ground, pressing my foot down on the metal lip with a wiggle that loosened the dirt, then tossing it onto a pile a few feet away. Thunk, swish, thunk, swish. The four men stood around watching this flurry of movement in amazement as if I had invented an exotic new sport. Finally, one of them said, Son, you're going to kill yourself like that. You won't last till water break. Watch me. He pushed the shovel blade into the ground, stepped on it, then paused to take a drag on a cigarette, leaning against the shovel handle. A minute or two later, he nonchalantly threw the dirt onto the pile I had made, set the shovel down, and took a few more drags. The other three men followed suit. Anxious to impress the foreman on my first day, I compromised with a pace somewhere between theirs and mine. By water break at 10 o'clock, I knew without a doubt that my mentor had been right. My t-shirt was drenched in sweat and streaked with red Georgia clay. The joints in my feet hurt. It felt as if professional wrestlers had been jumping up and down on my arms. My back ached like an old man's, and I walked hunchbacked to the truck for water. Well, in his eagerness to work, man, maybe he wasn't so wise, but these guys had learned what they thought was wisdom in how not to work. And there are reasons not to work right, or not to work too hard. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside, or... I will be murdered in the streets. There's all kinds of possible excuses or reasons why you shouldn't go to work, right? And these are kind of the same excuses we use for not working too hard when we're at work. I think that the U.S., that America was built on hard work and largely by immigrants who came here. And I still see that, by the way, that mentality in immigrants who believe that you can work hard and you can make money and you can make a living for your family. That American dream is still there for those who want it. But I think the new American dream is how to stay home, 
how to not work. Maybe collect disability. And I'll say this, that there are legitimate cases of disability. There are people that can't work because they've been injured or because it's a physical or a mental uh, disability that they have. But I also believe, just in my own experience, that there are a lot of people drawing disability that really aren't disabled. It's pretty easy these days to have the government send you a check. Last November, we were in Nashville, and my daughter-in-law was telling us that her sister out in California had uh, put in the ad in the paper for a roommate. A young woman shows up, and she said, yeah, I'd like to roommate. She said, okay, they worked it out. And, and after a while, she said, you know what? I'm on disability, and uh, I get paid every month for that. And so would you want to do the housework and the dishes and everything? I'll just pay for that. She said, yeah, I could use the extra money. So she started doing that, and she said, it's okay for a while. But then I started noticing she's going out to play volleyball, she's playing frisbee, she's doing all these other things, and I'm thinking, there's something wrong with this picture. And unfortunately, that's the case in some cases. I believe that too often we become a nation of victims. Rather than saying, no, no, God's given us strength and health, and we can work, and we can, even if we can't work in this area, we can work in another way. Proverbs 6, verse 8 says of that ant, it has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer. Look at that little guy there. That ant there is carrying a leaf, and, and they say that ants can carry 20 to 50 times their weight. I know why. This next picture will illustrate that. These little guys are lifting weights. <laughs> well, I'm not sure how, how accurate this is. But 20 to 50 times, and I thought, wow, if it was just 20 times, do you know how much weight I could lift? 3,800 pounds. You do the math, and now you know what I weigh. But you can do that for yourself as well. And think, that's amazing. These little guys have a lot to teach us about carrying our weight. Did you ever take a picnic and wish they'd take a break? But they don't, right? Here they come, marching right along. They're going to work on your plate if you leave it alone. I remember in our condo the battle of the ants that Dee waged for quite a while, you know, different forays, you know. And I uh, wasn't sure who was going to win, but she finally prevailed. But these guys don't give up. They persist. In fact, if you've ever been heartless, kicked over an anthill, do they go on unemployment? Do they go to claim disability? No, they go right back to work. Immediately, they are rebuilding that anthill because they are workers. Here's the thing. In our vocations, as well as in our other pursuits in life, like our marriages and other relationships and our Christian uh, spiritual growth, there's challenges, setbacks, discouragements. And we can say, okay, this isn't going to work, and we can bail out. Or we can go back to work and say, Lord, I need your strength to do this. And I'm going to commit this to you and take a step of faith here. And that's what we learn in part as well from this ant. One more principle from this passage. 
The sluggard comes to a tragic end while the ant has prepared for the future. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Just all of a sudden, wait a minute, I had this dream. I thought it was going to come to pass, and I didn't get rich after all. No, but I didn't do anything towards it either. Laziness has consequences. These proverbs were written in primarily an agrarian setting. Agriculture was practiced. It wasn't the tractors and big equipment, but it was scattering seed and being diligent in that. And I think in a farming culture, probably sloth or laziness and diligence were more immediately seen. I mean, I grew up in a farming community in Nebraska, and, and um, most of these farmers were really hardworking, especially, you know, during the spring, summer, and fall. They take a break in the winter sometimes, but they worked hard and long hours. But occasionally you'd see a farmer that didn't, and it was apparent to everybody in the community because look at their field. In fact, there was one farmer in our community, Jim. Uh, he had inherited the farm from his hardworking father, and uh, Jim's fields, not, not much happened. In fact, my brother went to work for him right out of high school, just to earn money for college. And so I talked to Joe about that experience. He said it was pretty amazing. He said uh, Jim had told him, don't show up too early in the morning, because Jim usually slept in. And he'd get over there, and they may get there about 9 o'clock, and Jim would say, well, come on in and have some breakfast. So they'd hang around the breakfast table, have coffee and some breakfast for maybe a half hour or so. Then they'd go out, start working. But within in about an hour, Jim would say, whoa, time for a coffee break. We've got to go, go have some coffee. So they'd go in the house, have some coffee, coffee cake, and hang around. Then go back out, try to find something to do, work for a little while. Time for lunch. They called it dinner on the farm. Got to go in, and they'd have dinner. And then uh, Jim would say, Joe, you go on out, see if you can find something to do. I'll be out after a while. I'm going to take a nap. And so he would. <laughs> so about maybe an hour later, here comes Jim. And uh, he said we'd work for a little while. And then, oh, coffee time. They'd go in and have some iced tea now and uh, spend some time, go out for a little while, and then uh, wrap up, 4.35 o'clock, and Joe would go home. Well, come harvest time, there wasn't much to harvest because he hadn't done much plowing. In fact, uh, he hadn't cultivated and he rarely got around to irrigating, which he needed to do. And that's reflected in these verses here in Proverbs. For instance, chapter 20, verse 4. A sluggard does not plow in season. That's in the spring when you turn the soil over so you can plant. So at harvest time, he looks but finds nothing. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs counsels us in this passage we just read, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And that's true in our work 
and in every endeavor of our lives and in our relationships. I read an account about Monterey, California this week. I mean, coastal city used to be more of a sleepy town and the fishermen would come in in their boats in the afternoon and they'd dock them and then they'd clean their fish right there on the dock. And the pelicans figured that out because these fishermen would toss the entrails from the fish they were cleaning to the pelicans. And those pelicans grew fat and contented and lazy. And then the fishermen discovered another use for the entrails of those fish, and so they weren't throwing them to the pelicans anymore, but the pelicans didn't bother to go learn how to fish again. They just waited. And some of them grew thin and gaunt, and many of them actually starved because they had not been willing to go fish for themselves. There's a verse in Proverbs 13. It says, The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Is there an area in your work where you're not satisfied? You'd like it to really work out, or maybe in a relationship. We want this to happen. We're just not willing to put in any effort. We still crave it. We still want it. But it's the diligent, those who put in their effort, that will have their souls satisfied. Jesus really reflected this ethic, by the way, in his admonitions to us. Many of you are familiar with Matthew 25 and the story or the parable that he told about the master and the three slaves and how the master was going to go on a long trip, so he entrusted to those three slaves finances. It was in the form of talents. Five to one, uh, two to another, and one to one. He felt that was their capacities. He came back after a long time, and the one who'd received five, the one who'd received two, they had invested that money. They'd given real thought to it and uh, made the money work for the master, so when he came back, they could hand it to him. Say, there you go. Here's what you have entrusted me with. But the one who received one talent, he came to him with his one talent, handed it to him and said, Master, I knew you were a hard man. Knew you reaped where you hadn't sown and gathered where you had not scattered. So I took this talent and buried it in the ground so as not to lose it. And here you go. You can have it. Jesus said that master was not pleased. And among other things, he called him a wicked and a lazy slave. And Jesus' point to us is, we need to use the opportunity that we have, the strength that God's given, the abilities that he's apportioned out to each one of us, and use it to the best. Yes, in our vocation, but certainly and primarily for the kingdom of God in all aspects, because our work and everything else relates to Serving the Lord. That's echoed throughout the New Testament. In fact, when the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, he was writing to a church that was having some challenges, and one of them, and by the way, he had planted that church. And he had talked to them, among other things, about the second coming of Christ. And they were excited about that. Maybe they were having seminars on the second coming of Christ and drawing their charts. I don't know what all they were doing. But, but some of them were so eager for the return of Christ, they quit their jobs. And they were living off the others in the church. 
And so Paul wrote them in this letter, and he said, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. They made tents, and uh, they did that so they could sell them so they could stay there and uh, preach the gospel and make disciples. He said, we did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. In our culture, that sounds really harsh. But do you know that that was the, the standard in the uh, experience of early America? When the colonies were formed, the uh, infirm, those who couldn't work, were cared for by the churches, not by the government, but by the churches, and they would often divide the community in different sections. And uh, if someone needed help, were down on their luck, let's say a young woman who maybe became a widow, she needed help, they'd say, great, but we need you to sew for the elderly ladies in the community. Can you do that? And we're going to help you out. Or a younger man who, for whatever reason, couldn't work, they'd say, great, you can, we're going to feed you, but, but you see that wood pile over there? We need to, to chop that up for the uh, widows in the community so they'll have some heat for their homes. And what happened in the meantime is that these people that worked for their food, uh, their dignity was preserved. And work is redemptive. And then they could find work eventually. And others were helped. But they wouldn't put up with a person just coming along who was able-bodied, who could work but wouldn't. Now, Proverbs, as I said last week, is a book of maxims, not promises. And the maxim here is, uh, work produces wealth. That's generally true. Sometimes you can work and you don't get wealth. Uh, you just get tired, okay? And, and, and that's true, too. But generally, it's true that if you really labor, you're going to see some reward for that labor, in your vocation as well as in other areas of life. So I want to suggest this morning that diligence is the admonition for each of us in our vocations, in our marriages, in our relationships with other family members or friends, and in following the Lord. There will be profit if we'll give ourselves diligently in these areas. Now when it comes to vocational work, are there some qualifiers? Yeah, I want to mention about three. First, we can work too much and too hard. And when that happens, work has become too central in our lives. If it becomes our identity, then it becomes an idol. And sometimes we don't even realize this until we're out of work. We've been laid off, we've been injured, or we've retired, and we feel like, I'm worthless. Well, that was because we found our identity in what we did. We had a memorial service here yesterday for Ray Tanaka, 
who was an elder in our church for over 40 years. And one of the classes that he taught focused on our identity in Christ. He was really, you know, intent that people would understand that it's who we are because we put our faith in Christ. We're children of God. And it's whose we are, that we belong to him. That's what gives us worth. Not what we do, not our work. We can't earn that. No, it's, it's a gift from God. And so when our identity is anchored in Christ, it's not in our work. And when we are taking our work and giving ourselves the time to work diligently in our work, but not working endless hours so that we ignore our responsibilities, uh, letting our family languish, not spending time with our family, or serving in our community, then we have made work an idol. And that's not good either. It's a balanced thing. Secondly, we can encourage and help others to learn to work or to find work. And I think that's true especially of young people, especially in a culture where many kids have come out of families now that they never had the opportunity to work. They didn't learn to work. And, and, and whether it's through a common grace relationship that we have with a kid in the public school or, or some, maybe our grandkids or maybe kids in our youth group, if we come alongside of them and just encourage them and maybe give them opportunities to work, that's really a great thing to do. Or I think even the homeless in our community, there's a percentage of them that would like to work. And maybe there are employees, employers that could work with the Salvation Army, or we can come alongside of those people and help them to learn to work or find work. And even with our, within our own church family, when people are out of work, uh, we can network, we can encourage, we can pray with them and help them to find work. And then third, we must have compassion for those who truly cannot work and realize there are legitimate reasons. So we don't stand in judgment of them. Uh, we pray for them. We encourage them. Uh, but we thank the Lord for our health and strength and just realize there are others that would like to work if they could, but just can't. But the maxim, the general principle for most of us is that diligence in our work has great dividends. It's true in every area of our lives. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we are grateful for the health that we have and realize when we lose it what a great loss that's been. And so, Lord, help us to use the opportunities we have, whether we're healthy or not, to be diligent in ways and in areas that we can be, realizing that there's great profit in that, to encourage one another in that, and to be known as people of balance who give you honor in the way that we work in each of these areas. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.